Hey everybody, happy October. I hope it finally feels like fall where you're at. Um, usually the first week of October here in the south, we finally dip low enough to say fall is here. We can pull out the sweaters and uh, actually get comfortable. <laughs> Otherwise, it can be kind of miserable. So, uh, we are going to start off October wrapping up our discussion in September on guide dogs and what it was like for my family to adjust to a guide dog as um, teenagers and young kids and then um, we're just going to chat about some guide dog stuff from September and look forward to what we have for October. Welcome to the Crab Podcast. Here at Children Raised Around the Blind, we have two goals. Our first goal is to help those living with the blind to understand them better and to help children through the difficulties that come from living with a blind parent. Secondly, we want to spread awareness of the blind community. Here on the podcast, we will share the things that blind people can do and ways the sighted world can include them in everyday life. Join us twice a month to learn about the visually impaired community. So if you missed it, um, in September, I spent most of the Tuesdays and Thursdays just talking about our family's experience with getting a guide dog. So for my mom growing up and teen years, even college years, she never wanted a dog. Um, They were around, of course, but for her, she just enjoyed the white cane. She enjoyed being able to um, navigate, not having you know, it was something to look after. She had pet dogs, but um, that's very different from all of the other. And it really wasn't until 2004, 2005 that she started deciding that, hey, I think I might want to have a guide dog. This might be useful. I was in my teen years and would be going off to college soon. And each of my siblings was um, still homeschooled, but just kind of looking at the future, you know, what if she wanted to go somewhere by herself? What if we moved to a different area um, where she had transportation and she could actually go to the grocery store independently and just a lot of things that she felt would be easier with a dog. We'd also been introduced through our state blind organization to the um, state group that was guide dog users and actually met with some of the puppy raisers were involved in some legislation to help here in the state that gave the puppy raisers the same rights as the fully trained dogs to have accessibility and now that is I believe one of the largest campus college campuses that actually does guide dogs um, raising there on campus they usually average between 80 and 100 guide dogs every year and it's um, just a really cool program. So yeah, it was somewhere between 04 and 05 that mom wanted a guide dog and then um, my dad said no, he was not a dog person, much less a large dog person and kind of put his foot down and was like, I don't want the hassle, I don't wanna have to clean up, I don't wanna have to make more stops on trips and I get it. it, it would be a huge change And so we kind of just put it in the back pocket. And then in uh, end of 2005, going into 2006, my mom 
and dad separated and all of her friends were like you need to go do this now um we knew she'd be looking at getting a job as a single parent of four kids and then also just the independence factor that she would now need and so um it took a while i think we applied probably february or march of 2006 and she got the call in August, uh, in July to go ahead and um, tell her that she would be getting a guide dog in August because this was her first guide dog. She would be getting um, the extra training, which meant that instead of going for just um, usually two or three weeks, she would be going for a full four. So if you can imagine a mother of four leaving her four kids for a month <laughs> at the beginning of a school year, thankfully, most of us were homeschooled. I think one brother was in public school at that time. And so we, um, as kids, rotated through a lot of different people's houses. We had a lot of people who um, would take care of us for three or four days at a time. I was driving and worked. And so I got to stay at one friend's house for the bulk of the time. And um, with that, was able to be able to keep school up and then also to work so I didn't lose any time there. And then I would pick up my siblings on the weekends. We'd hang out together, go to church together and those types of things. But it was a long four weeks. Um, thankfully, there were cell phones <laughs> and accessibility and things like that. So we were able to talk to mom. We got to learn about the dog and some of the rules. And then she came home and... It was a huge change for us. So we'd only had dogs weighing maybe 30 pounds at most, 20, 30 pounds. And she came home with an almost 80 pound yellow lab. And so not only is it a big dog, but, um, you know, also a dog for her. So she made sure that we understood that this dog was not a pet. This dog was not our friend. And this dog was you know, to work. So we spent the first six to eight weeks pretty much ignoring as much as we could. Um, so mom and Lassen could get together. They, he knew, you know, that was his person. We were not. And the adjustment phase and everything, we did have one dog at the time. Cause yes, cause we had just gotten, um, a dog actually like six weeks before mom left we had gotten a Japanese chin named cookie and um, we needed a pet we had mom's dog had been gone for, or my dog no I still had my dog too so I had a Yorkie as well but we needed more of a family pet and so we had two small dogs and then this big dog and Lassen was a lot of fun he had a lot of long days and my mom was able to find work in 2008. She started her days at 6 a.m. and would go till 5, 6 in the evening. And then a lot of times would go and sit at Kroger where my brother worked um, because he didn't have time to drop her off on the way to work. And so she was there till about 10 or 11 o'clock at night. So he had really long days. Um, he was amazing. Some of the downsides was they could never break him of his counter surfing. So he liked food. And um, until we ended up putting, one of my brothers had put up gates, uh, plywood over the dining room and kitchen area so that he couldn't get to the counters. 
you couldn't leave food on the counters. Um, he'd eat whole sticks of butter. You'd sit out, you know, to melt. He'd eat those. Um, he tried a candle one time and realized that wasn't a smart idea. Um, but other than that, he really did good. He didn't mind other animals. He didn't mind cats, didn't mind other dogs. He focused really well and he worked, um, from 2006 till 2011 or 12, I believe. And so with that, um, he retired and um, some of it he retired at eight a little bit earlier than we had um, anticipated he was almost nine but he'd also if you think about how many days he was going 12 14 16 hours um, that's a long time for any of us <laughs> to be doing one or two things much less as a guide dog have to sit and do nothing be on alert and things like that so he retired and then um, we ended up putting him down into early January of 2018. But he um, then became fully a pet. He was the laziest dog. Um, at that point, he would just lay around, enjoyed retirement and everything. And then 2012, we decided to go ahead and start working towards mom getting a new dog. And she got James in February of 2013. And she got James from a different guide dog school because it was her second. It should have been a shorter time, but because it was a different school, she um, actually had to go for almost three weeks this time for training, but came home with James, who is also a yellow lab. Now, the funny thing is Lassen was a yellow lab, but looked more white. He was very much more white than yellow and Meanwhile, James is a yellow lab, but he is almost like a strawberry blonde. <laughs> so he's like a reddish yellow. And James, everyone worried and sometimes still worry. Not as much now that he's older, but um, he has, they said, some sort of like a two different breeds. So he has this big blockhead is what they call it in the lab world. But then he has these teeny tiny little narrow hips. <laughs> And so it looked for so many months when we brought him back, people thought we were starving him. He looked like he was underweight or, you know, something was wrong because you could see his ribs. And it's just more the vet told us it's because he has this giant head and these teeny tiny hips. And having both of those on one dog is very unusual. So um, that was interesting for him, for sure. And because we'd already been adjusted to guide dogs, you know, it wasn't as big of a, an adjustment for us. It was new because we had to teach him the routes, um, which mom, you know, had to know where everything was and how to direct him, especially at church or commonly used places. Um, so we got used to that. And James worked up until 2022. And last January, February, we retired him. Um, he definitely was showing age and was just struggling with working. He um, does have some arthritis in his hips, but he is still with us. He actually lives full time right now with me and my kids and husband. So he is well taken care of. <laughs> um, some of the things about guide dogs that we need to just kind of run over real quick. One is they are always working. A lot of people think, oh, well, they're laying 
you know, sleeping or they're laying with their eyes closed and their handler is sitting so I can come up and pet them. No, they're still working because if you think about it, how many dogs do you know who, when in a public place, would sit and lay perfectly still? Not very many that aren't trained. So no matter what, you do not want to be distracting the dog. You do not want to pet the dog. You do not want to make eye contact. I say eye contact, but you know, trying your best not to be a distraction. Now, some handlers, you can ask, hey, can I pet your dog? And we'll say yes, like my mom would do often. And some of them will say no, because not every guide dog is able to go from being petted to um, completely and totally being able to focus again. And you really want that dog to focus because that is that person's safety. If you were to distract them in a grocery store, which we've had happen, we've had people whistle at the dog and we're making a right turn while the dog's looking to the left at the person. And next thing you know, they've run the person they're guiding into the corner of a shelf because we're making a turn. And now that person has injuries or potential injuries, Um, especially if you're outside on like sidewalks and curbs and things like that that dog needs to be fully paying attention because if they make a mistake their handler is going to trip and fall um that's just one of the big things so you never want to approach a dog with your hand out you don't want to whistle to it call to it make any sort of noises until you've gotten permission from the handler now not every handler is going to be comfortable with you touching their animal because some of them like i said cannot refocus some of them may be new it may be a a puppy or a young dog so most of them graduate and become um, a full guide dog between 18 months and two years old that's still a puppy you know they really don't start starting to mature until three and so they may do really great but they could also be easily distractible and so you really want to do your best to not to be the person that causes that dog to fail or to have to be sent back and things like that. Another thing with the guide dogs is knowing that um, most of the time you want to just not interfere unless for some reason they seem frustrated or flustered. Um, a lot of times the blind person knows what they're doing. They, they know where they're going. Um, some of the handlers may still have some usable vision and so they can see enough to kind of navigate around obstacles and things like that so if you want to offer you can say touch the handler on the shoulder on the opposite side of the dog and say hey i'm so and so would you like some assistance but don't just immediately think oh well look the way that they're walking and moving they must need help they're pretty good and um you know with one of the myths I guess I'm going to call it, of guide dogs as they see color. Dogs don't see in color. So if they're at a stoplight, the handler is actually the one that tells them when to go based on the traffic pattern um, or the, t- the audible signals that now we have at a lot of places. I wish audible signals were everywhere. Um, that tells them when it's safe to cross the street. Another um, one of the myths is that the guide dogs just always know where they're going. No, the handler knows. And that handler is in charge of telling the guide dog. Now, they may learn a path, like um, both Lassen and James learned at our church how to get from mom's Sunday school classroom over to the auditorium and from the auditorium to the choir loft or to where the orchestra pit was. 
they also learned the route when it was time to leave. This is, you know, about where the car is going to be parked. So they do learn routes, but it is still the handler's responsibility to tell that dog where to go and to still give them the left and right command. So if you're in the way, standing in the hallway, and they're trying to go left and the door's just past you, you might end up with a dog nose in your knee because you're in the way. So just keeping an eye out for them, giving them space. Um, if you want to know more about you know, how to give directions or how to guide with a guide dog, we do have a course on crab underneath our course section on sighted guiding and giving directions. And that also includes for guide dogs because it is a little bit different. There's some things you have to do a little bit different because they're not going to necessarily, as a blind person, they're not counting the doors. The dog's not going to count the doors. Um, so there's a few things that are going to be different with a guide dog. And I think that is the end of what I have. There is a Don't Distract the Guide Dog video up that was posted on Thursday last week. If y'all want to go watch that. And you guys hopefully have a great October. And we'll have some fun podcasts at the end. We're also going to be talking about White Cane Day, which is in the middle of October. And all sorts of stuff on our social media. Please, please, please take the time to subscribe to this podcast. Go ahead and give us a rating on the, um, whether you're listening on Apple or Google or however you're getting our podcast information. And if you want to watch us on YouTube, the last podcast of every month, that podcast is going on to YouTube. You can look up Children Raised Around the Blind there and find any of those podcasts on video format. Hope you guys have a good October and we will see you soon.